Thanks, Richard. It's great. I love it when um, you, you get a sense that God's been uh, at work behind the scenes when there's a similar theme, there's a, a song that's been chosen that really fits in with a word that's been spoken or prayers that have been uh, organised and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's, it shows that you know, the Spirit is at work um, amongst all of us. Uh, before we even get to today. Um, it's great to have Adam and Sandy with us. Welcome, guys. And Dan and Em. It's great to have you guys with us too. It's really fantastic when uh, people who have been part of our, our church come back together. I trust that you uh, have a great time this morning and catch up with, with people and, and really feel uh, the fellowship and, and love of the church. Um, before I get into the, this morning, just an, another announcement. I know we've done lots of announcements this morning, but um, as you know, we set up and pack up this space every week. And it, it is a, a big deal um, to have to do that when we don't have our own facilities. Um, and we are really in need of a couple of extra able-bodied people uh, to be willing to be on that um, set up and pack up, particularly the pack up roster. So if you're sort of feeling like, hey, I'd like to participate in the life of the church, I'd like to serve, uh, I'd like to get involved, and maybe I don't really know what, what my part is. If you can move a box, uh, if you can lock a door, then that might be uh, something for you to be participate in. So come and see Dan Potter. Dan, wave your hand. Come and see Dan if you uh, feel that way inclined. I really encourage uh, you all to do that. So the last um, couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at the theme of hospitality. Um, and this, first of all, came out of the desire to um, have everyone in the church uh, finding their sweet spot. And that's been our vision for the year. And it's been great to see so many teams and ministries and leaders step up into that vision. Um, but I've painted the fact that there's a couple of areas probably still left uh, to do, and one of those was hospitality. And when you think about hospitality in the church, it's how do we welcome people, how do we uh, make space for them, how do we love them, and how do we sort of help them to be part of the body. So that's kind of where it came. But then God's kind of done a thing in me, and as I've researched it, it's sort of become more about what is actually biblical hospitality, not just uh, welcoming and, and church, but what does it mean to actually live our lives uh, in a way that displays what biblical hospitality is. And um, I had simply put it out there that hospitality means welcoming the stranger in a simple definition. Um, but then I've kind of unpacked in the last couple of weeks that biblical hospitality goes that bit step further, is making space for others when you don't have to. Making space for others when you don't have to. And I've been unpacking that when you don't have to bit uh, these last couple of, of weeks. And it's really a reflection of the hospitality of God. Throughout scripture uh, and throughout time, we've seen a God who has welcomed us, who has made space for us in his family. Uh, the Father, Son and Spirit, before creation of the world, that could have just gone on and just enjoyed that fellowship and that relationship but they chose to make space for humanity and creation uh, in themselves. And Jesus uh, points to the end of time when he says, and we sang it this morning, my father's house has many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus is making a space for people to be with him. Uh, Jesus didn't have to. 
he could have said, uh, no thanks, <laughs> these guys are, you know, they've rejected me, they've turned their back on me, let's start all over again. But he chose to make space for us when he didn't have to. And last week we looked at the example of the table and we looked at rediscovering the ministry of the table again. Uh, Jesus points to the, the parable of the great feast at the end of time. There's going to be a feast, there's a wedding of the lamb um, and we're going to meet face to face with Jesus and we're going, to, we're going to eat together and drink together and conversation and that's just a picture of things to come and we can reflect that type of hospitality simply by how we invite people around our tables. Now the table is one example of making space for others when we don't have to. Um, obviously it's the main sort of one that we think about when we talk about hospitality, but there are other ways that we can make space for people in our lives. Uh, in our social circles, uh, in our workplaces, um, in our business perhaps, employing people that perhaps uh, wouldn't have a chance. There are many ways of showing this biblical hospitality in our lives. But this week, how do we do that? If we are to fully embrace making space for others when we don't have to, what are the barriers in ourselves? What are the hindrances that might be there that cause us to not really take on this whole idea of making space for others. Because at the end of the day, if it's just theory, if we all agree with the, the principles and the idea, but we don't actually outwork it, then there, there's something missing. And what, what might be some of those things that are, are hindering us and causing us not to actually live that out? Now, we could think of probably 20 things. I think probably most of the people would put fear as one of the reasons why they can't uh, live this out. I want to look at four things this morning, um, and it might not be some of the things that you think about when it comes to the hindrances and the barriers, but I trust that as we uh, unlock these, these four things, maybe the Lord might even be speaking to you about something that isn't one of those four things uh, that can help you actually live this, this out. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you have made a space for us. Lord, that we can come to you freely, uh, without fear, uh, without any uh, effort required of our own, and that you have opened up your life for us and you've laid it down, and that has given us access to the Father. Lord, we can come boldly to the throne room because you have made a way and you have made a space for us. And Lord, as we uh, open your word this morning and as we uh, think and as we listen to your voice, Lord, we pray that you'd be speaking to us. Lord, that your spirit would be uh, poking us, would be revealing things in ourselves perhaps that we didn't think about, that would help us to be changed and transformed and that would go from this place different, renewed, uh, energised and empowered to live out your life of faith in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you've got Bibles with you or if you've got your phone, um, turn to Acts chapter 10 and keep it open with you because we're going to be 
like kind of talking about the whole chapter, and I'm just going to be bringing out particular verses uh, as we look at this whole chapter. Now, this is a very familiar passage of scripture. Uh, many of you who have been around the church for many years would know this story. Uh, if you haven't been around the church for very long or you're, you're new to the faith, this is an amazing story. It's a story uh, of when the Gentiles, uh, Gentiles is a word that we describe for people who weren't Jews, anyone who wasn't a Jew, um, the, the, the Gentiles first came to coming to know Jesus and, and the Spirit being poured out on, on them. So Jesus, uh, at the end of his ministry, says to his disciples, the Great Commission, and it's one of the passages that we often talk about, uh, he says, go into the world or the nations, uh, baptising, teaching, spreading the gospel. Jesus says, go into all nations. Here in Acts 10, scholars say it's possibly give or take a few years, five years after that event. So Jesus says, go into all the nations, disciples. Five years later, the disciples are still hanging around Jerusalem and they haven't actually sort of taken on that great commission. Jesus' most important teaching kind of fell on deaf ears. Go into all the nations. This is... This is paramount for the gospel to spread. And yet here the spirit-filled disciples haven't gone into the nations. They're actually still hanging around Jerusalem five years later. Sometimes uh, the most important teaching falls on deaf ears. Wink, wink. Um, (laughs) Sometimes there's really important things that are said that aren't actually taken on. In fact, I had a friend in Bible college who was given um, an assistant pastor role to take on a night service in his church. And he preached this amazing sermon, his first sermon at the night church. And everyone said how amazing it was and how touched they were. And then the next week, he preached exactly the same sermon. And some of the people there were a bit kind of, oh, does he know what he's doing? He's uh, got the notes from last week, um, but they didn't say anything. Next week, preached the same sermon. And people sort of started to talk amongst themselves. And then fourth week, preached the same sermon <laughs> until someone actually sort of stood up and said, I've got to stop you there. I think it was one of the elders in the church. Do you know what you're doing? You've, you, you've done this one. And he said, yeah, but no one's listening. <laughs> no one's actually taken it on and actually outworked uh, what I've been talking about. They, you might say that it's good. You might say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm truly blessed and it's touched my life, but Unless we can actually, our hearts are open to accept the teaching, uh, then often it falls on deaf ears. And it can be the same with us. Let's have hearts that are open. Now, there's a reason possibly that Jesus' great commission fell on deaf ears. And that is that the Jews had deep prejudices towards the Gentiles. Um, You could even say that they were racist. They, they saw Gentiles as unclean, an inferior race, on the outs with God. In fact, often they referred to Gentile people as dogs. That's a great uh, description of a, another person, isn't it? That they're dogs. So there was this deep 
cultural racism that pervaded their thoughts. And so to take the gospel to all nations, no thanks. And so God had to challenge this way of thinking about who is in and who is out. And in our chapter today, God is going to show Peter who is in and who is out and to challenge his mindset towards others. And as we look at this story, hopefully too, we are challenged to think uh, just as Peter was. And so the first point, of course, is that we have to remove any prejudices we have towards others. If we are to truly um, love, if we are truly to, like the kids uh, sang this morning, go out and shine the light and to let others know of what Jesus has done, then we cannot be exclusive in who we go to and tell. Um, the, the, the cross is clear that all have sinned and fallen short and that we are all in need and that we are all in need of saving and that Jesus has laid his life for every person. And so if we see people outside of that, then we're uh, not really living up to the true gospel. And so... Um, in Acts 10, just a bit of a, the, the backstory. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. So not only is he a Gentile, but he's a Roman. Uh, Jews didn't like the Romans being in their land. So two reasons why that this is an interesting story. But he's a God-fearing man, the scriptures say. Uh, they say that he's been giving to the poor, that he prays, and that he has a good reputation among the Jews. So... Um, Back when they used to say God-fearing people, it was people who took on uh, the faith that has been uh, talked about, but they didn't go that extra step. You know, you might know what I'm talking about. Uh, they, they weren't willing to do that, but their heart was open to the gospel. And so an angel shows up to Cornelius, freaks him out, as angels do, and after he's sort of calmed down, he says, you've got to go to this place called Joppa on the coast, and there I want you to find a guy called Simon Peter, Peter, who is uh, staying at this guy's house, Simon the Tanner. So there's this guy, Simon the Tanner, he's a, a, a hide, he um, does hides and leather. So he's a working class guy and Peter is staying in his house. I want you to go there and I, I want you to listen to what he says. So Cornelius sends a few of his guys out to Joppa to go find this guy who's staying at uh, Simon the Tanner's house. And all at the same time, God is speaking to Peter. So Peter's up on the rooftop of this guy's house. Now, I can possibly understand, you know, in my early days reading that, it's like that's a pretty interesting place to go pray. But uh, Simon the Tanner was probably of the working class. So he had a small house, probably had a family. Probably some of his business was from his home. And... There's you know, cramped space. So if you're wanting some peace and quiet, the place to go is to the roof. Um, and having had six kids now and we don't have enough rooms to put them all in, um, Joe and I often joke about finding our peace and quiet by going to the bathroom. <laughs> so that's where uh, we go for a bit of peace and quiet. So in a similar way, there's Peter on the rooftop and he's praying. And Peter gets hungry and has a vision and he sees this sheet or this tablecloth uh, come down from heaven with all kinds of animals and 
but they are the unclean animals that Leviticus 18 says, as Jewish people, is not kosher to eat. Um, and so he sees all these animals that he views as unclean, as despised, as disgusting. And we pick up the story in verse 14. And God says, uh, kill and eat because you're hungry. Uh, kill and eat. Peter replies, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure what God has made clean. What God is saying is that your argument about clean and unclean food is invalid because I have made it clean. And in a similar way, your mindset and your argument about clean and unclean people is also invalid. God is trying to free Peter from his racist mindset in order that he might minister to all people. You see, for Peter, his dislike for the Gentiles was a hindrance to the ministry, the gospel going to all nations. And in the same way, I believe that God needs to free our mindsets. How do we view certain people? What are the judgmental spirits we have in towards others? Is there a blockage in our engagement, perhaps because we see ourselves as a better class or we dislike the behaviour of someone or uh, we don't like their theology even? (laughs) But as I said, the cross has made it clear. All are welcome to sit at the table of the Lord. Does God love me more than he loves you? No. Does God love me more than he loves anybody who's outside the walls of this church? No. In fact, I'd probably argue that he loves them more. And so we have to do a heart checkup. How are we going in our, the area of judging others? And it's not just social or behavioural or racial. How, how are we going even in the church? That person down the row from you. How are we going and thinking about people? Because we're all wired differently. I, I often laugh and say, you know, if the church was just full of people like me, it would it'd be a much better place. But it wouldn't be, would it? Because I'm wired a particular way, I have certain gifts, I'm a certain way, and we would not be able to be all that we can be without your gifts and the things that you're passionate about and the way that you're wired. And so we need each other, as Richard prayed this morning, to have unity in our church. And the breaker of that unity is when we judge others and we look down on them. But it's hard It's hard for many people to break out of this. And it was hard for Peter as well. In fact, the verse uh, says this happened three times. So Peter doesn't just go, okay, Lord, yep, I get what you're saying. Cool, I've got to change my mindset. I'll I'll be a different person now. 
he's got to kind of run the vision again. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay, down comes the, the tablecloth of the things. Take and eat. No, I'm not going to do that. Down it comes again. And I, I'd say God would probably do that a hundred times if he had to. Because God's patient with us. Um, he isn't going to just force us into something. He is willing to work with us and even uh, with our personalities. So question to you this morning, what would be on your sheet? If God was to present to you something to change your mindset, to challenge you about uh, who is in and who is out, uh, any judgmental spirit that you have in yourself, what would he display on your sheet? In order for you to make space for others when you don't have to, um, what does he need to reveal to you this morning? Because judgmentalness kills inclusiveness. And so we pick it up at verse 21. Um, so these guys now from Cornelius' house has come to Peter and they've sort of said what, Peter, what Cornelius has said to them, you know, we've got to come and find you. And so Peter went down to the men off the roof. I'm the one you're looking for. And he says, why have you come? And the men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. I want you to just remember that bit for a second. I'm going to reveal, come back to that later. That he might hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So obviously uh, the teaching that God has done, the, the humbling of the heart, the changing of the mindset has, has happened because for, for a Jewish person to invite Gentiles into their home would, would have been a, a no-no. So it's, it's weird for two reasons. First of all, he, he invites them in. Secondly, I, I don't know if you've picked this up, but he's invited them into someone else's house. <laughs> it's not even his house. Now that's, that's another level of hospitality right there. <laughs> sure, come on in. Help yourself to whatever's in the fridge. <laughs> it's not mine, but yeah. Um, so it's not his house that he's actually uh, exercising this, this level of hospitality. Um, what would Simon the Tanner have been thinking? I mean, he didn't get the vision on the rooftop. All of a sudden, Peter's just invited these guys he doesn't know into his house. I'm sure he would have had some reservations. I'm sure he would have... Uh, thought, oh my goodness, Peter, what are you doing? And I'm sure one of his uh, hesitations could have gone something along the lines of this and something I think we can all sympathise with and again, I think is often a hindrance to us actually exercising hospitality and that is, oh, I haven't cleaned my house. Hang on, I'm not ready for guests yet. Uh, the kids got their Lego all over the floor. Um, you know, the, the windows are dirty. Uh, I haven't put out the washing that's on the, you know, example after example. Uh, worldly hospitality is not about presentation. Uh, well, sorry, worldly hospitality is about presentation. Biblical hospitality is about connection and relationships. So the second thing is that connection and relationship trump 
presentation. And we can all fall into this trap. And I get the, the desire to present our homes in a particular way or, um, or, or whatever. But when it comes to making space for others, it's actually about the connection that we have when, when people enter our space, not what they see. Um, and it's not just our homes. This relates also to our lives. I think sometimes we can think, I've actually got to have my life together first. Now, before I actually go out and minister and uh, share the gospel with others, first of all, I've got to somehow have my theology right. I've got to um, you know, show that my life is together. I've got to sort these problems out. Uh, and and we, can, we can have that hindrance of presentation of, of who we are as a blockage to actually... Uh, loving the stranger. Um, my uh, previous pastor, Dean Metheringham, once told a story when he was first uh, in ministry in the country areas, rural areas. Uh, he first went out to, to pastor a church, a uh, very rough rural area, and he remembers being taught a very strong lesson about hospitality along these lines as he was invited to a, a meal by a family. And he went into the home and it was a mess. It was trashed. <laughs> there was things all over the place that hadn't been cleaned for years. Um, but this family had invited him in to their space. And the meal, the meal was simply um, a can of Spam and they all had a spoon and they passed the can of Spam around the table and they all had, a, <laughs> had, a, had an eat and passed it on. They get their spoon, they have, have a mouthful. And he remembers just going, wow, you know, these people have actually invited me, the pastor, into their world, uh, into their space, into their reality. And it might not be what I'm used to, but they welcomed me and they shared their meal with me. So that's what biblical hospitality is about. It's not about the presentation. It's not about the meal. It's not about the floors being swept. It's about connection and relationship. And, you know, if you have a heart to share with others, if you have a heart to make space for others when you don't have to, then that is enough. What is in your life that is shiny, that is about presentation, that is perhaps hindering you from making space for others? I once heard this slogan about the Christian life and the Christian uh, living out the gospel, and it is that it's ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And so these guys stay as guests. Um, I came across this uh, on Facebook, and many of you might relate to this. Don't mind the mess. My kids are making memories. Now, I've locked out the next bit. 
My kids are making memories of me yelling at them to clean up the mess. <laughs> Who can relate to that? <laughs> I, know, I know we can. It's not about mess. Well, it is actually about mess. It's inviting people into our mess and showing that we don't actually have it all together and that that's okay. And so Peter invites these guys into Simon's mess and they stay overnight, they have lodging, and then the next day Peter started out with them and some other believers. So now he's got a, a team of ministry team and they're heading out uh, back to Cornelius' house after staying overnight, the very next day. So Peter doesn't go, okay, so this guy Cornelius wants to hear what I have to say, and these guys have come and told me that. Let's just get my diary out and uh, just check. Yeah, a uh, couple of months' time I can probably fit you in. Uh, you know, I can possibly do this next year sometime. The next day. The very next day, Peter sets out for Cornelius' house. And so point number three is that we need to embrace spontaneity and spirit-led moments. And I know some of you are looking at that going, no! <laughs> no, not that one. I hate spontaneity. I like things organised. I like to know what's happening and when. I don't like people coming in unannounced. Um, Hans Vortman at the camp encouraged us to embrace spontaneity when it comes to the Spirit speaking in our lives because he will come at times when we don't expect it. In the same way, God in the Bible often just shows up unannounced. So if we're to embrace these Spirit-led moments and we are uh, to embrace the sense of spontaneity, what would today look like? I wonder who God would actually bring along our paths that if we didn't embrace this, we'd probably miss. And when I look at the life of Jesus, I see this as a huge part of his ministry uh, mindset. Jesus was constantly being willing to stop and spend time with people, make space for people when he didn't have to at times that often seemed uh, ridiculous. One of, one of my favourite um, examples of this, and I've, I've used this before, is that when uh, Jarius comes to Jesus and says, my daughter's sick, my daughter's dying, will you come and will you minister to her? And so Jesus is like, yeah. For sure, this is this is a, an emergency. You know, this is matter of life and death. This is, oh, and and a whole stack of people go, yeah, we're coming with you. And so they're they're on from one point to another, and they're they're running. You know, this is an emergency. This is of life and death, and they're running and they're they're going towards this thing that is important and is a priority. And Jesus, in the midst of that, stops, and he turns and says, "Who stopped, Who touched my cloak?" And the, the people with him are like, dude, it's like emergency, life and death. What are you, why are we stopping? We, you know, we've got no time to stop. But Jesus embraced spontaneity and he embraced the spirit-led moment and he turned and he ministered to this woman. 
and he gave her time and he healed her and he spoke into her life. And in a similar way, we are running flat out. When you say, how are you going to someone? The first thing they say, flat out, I'm busy. You know, things are pretty crazy at the moment. What would life look like if we were to, in our running, in our busyness, embrace and be open to the Spirit's voice in our life that we every now and then might stop and go, hang on, is this a God moment? Is God actually asking me to stop my priority and actually prioritise and make space for this person? Could be someone that you bump into in the shops. (laughs) I think shopping centres are one of the most uh, God-ordained meeting places that there is. You know, we're, 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 I've got to get this milk home and put it in the fridge, you know, or I've got to go pick up the kids from school. We're often rushing when it comes to our shopping. And yet it's often the place where we bump into place. Is God bringing people into your life? Is God saying, hey, I want you to just spend 10 minutes in the aisle opening yourself up and making space for this person that I've led to you? just as Cornelius was led to Peter. So how do we embrace spontaneity? Um, Can I encourage you, in, in your diaries, in your planning, yes, plan life, but sometimes plan nothing to either see what God puts in that space or... When you've actually planned something else that is important, know that if you do make space for someone else, you've actually got that space to then replace it with. Make space in your life for others. So then Peter and the ministry team are on their way to Cornelius' house. Um, And while they're talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware, this is that thing, that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. So for me to actually come into your home, you know, it's against our law. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Wow. Wow. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. So he's got God's mindset. He's got God's view of people now. And that's what we need to do. We not, not see people through our judgments, but does God love this person? Did God give his life up for them? Is the spirit of God working in their lives? Yes. So I've got to view them that way. So I was sent for and I came without raising objection. May I ask why you sent me? Now here's the thing. Peter knows why he's been sent. That's that thing I was talking about before in in that earlier passage. The angel said, go to Peter and listen to what he has to say. So Peter's mission is to say something, to preach So he knows why he's there. And yet he has the humility 
to come alongside them and say, what is it that you're after? What need do you have that I can meet? Peter doesn't go in all guns blazing, here I am, right, everyone sit down, I've got the answers for you, listen to what I've got to say. No, Peter comes in and he says, what is it that you need? What is it that you're, you're after in your life? And so the fourth thing is don't assume what people's needs are. I think we can, as Christians, simply think the biggest need is for people just to get saved. I've just got to preach it and that, that's their need. But sometimes people aren't open to the gospel until they're actually embraced and have a sense of belonging and trust first. And so that's what Peter's doing. He doesn't assume to know and come in all guns blazing, be the big hero, I'm going to come save the day. But he actually asks the question, what is it that is your need? What is it that I can do for you? I love this. Sometimes we need someone simply to be there. Not fix anything or do anything in particular, but just let us feel that we are cared for and supported. I think when we think about making space for others, that's actually the need that other people have first and foremost, is to feel cared for and supported. And so the other thing is that hospitality is actually a two-way street. Whilst Peter then goes on to share the gospel and the whole household is filled with the Spirit, and this is the turning point uh, for the, the nations to, to be blessed, and this was God's plan from the beginning, that Israel would be part of the nations being blessed. And so here Peter's part of that. And he says, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptised with water, for they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. It's the very last sentence in this chapter. And it's a pretty interesting one, and it really jumped out at me, is that Peter didn't just rock up and do his thing and say, it's all about me. He actually ministered to them, and they received the gospel, and then Peter actually receives hospitality in return. Hospitality is a two-way street. And sometimes, whilst we meet other people's needs in making space for them, they actually minister to us and unveil and reveal needs that we have that perhaps we don't know about that only someone else can then begin to minister to us. And so the idea is that, that we are kind of going out and we're the need meters <laughs> And where we're willing, we're going to go um, fulfil a need and then we're going to walk away. Now, hospitality is about making space for others 
and that as, as we meet their needs, whatever they may be, we actually discover that they meet ours because it's about relationship and it's about inclusion because we have the need to be accepted and loved likewise. And the stranger may expose a need that you have that you just didn't know about. You know, it might be that sermons or friends in the church might be very aware of certain things and needs in your life, but you're oblivious to it. <laughs> but it's perhaps a stranger that comes into your life that reveals it. I want to finish this morning by just simply asking the question, how do we go make space for others when we don't have to? What things, it might be one of those four things I raised this morning, it might be something that the Holy Spirit even now is going, what about that thing? You know, is it time? Is it fear? Is it the thought that someone else will do it? Is it the thought that I'm not gifted enough? Because I have a desire to see a church body who are so, uh, so take on the message of the gospel that as they leave this place, the people they meet, the lives they touch, that ministry doesn't happen in four walls, but ministry happens as relationships are built, as people make space for other people in their homes, in their lives, in their workplace, in their social circles. The church is ultimately going to grow because we all choose to make space for others when we don't have to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did come to this world and that you laid down your life so that we might be included and welcomed in to the relationship that you have as Father, Son and Spirit. And Lord, we don't want to just accept that and be welcomed in and celebrate and worship who you are without actually responding and letting others know that they are also included, that they are also welcomed. And so, Lord, as we have heard your word this morning, as you've been speaking to us, Lord, as we sing this next song, Lord, I pray that you would be working in our hearts. Who are those? What is it in us? that is stopping us from making space for others. Reveal it to us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would, as you did a number on Peter, as you changed his thinking, Lord, right now, change our thinking. Change our thinking. Alert us to the possibility of what life would be like as we embrace hospitality, biblical hospitality, 
in our lives. And so Lord, as we stand and sing now, we invite your spirit to be here. Speak to us. Help us to open up our hearts to your voice speaking and ministering to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.